0: The more I read the Gospel of Luke, the more convinced I become that Jesus is obsessed with making disciples. It seems to me that he's not all that interested in attracting a large crowd. He doesn't seem to be enamored with public opinion. It's not that he is preoccupied with stuffing the stat sheet just to make sure he's got enough decisions on the page. No, it seems to me that Jesus is obsessed. With making disciples. I think that's the realization that came to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which caused him to write that Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. And may I add my own two cents that a Christless Christianity is nothing more than insanity? So when you and I come to Luke chapter 6, I think that Jesus is portraying for us a portrait of discipleship. Today we come to Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 49. This is Luke's rendering of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. Now Matthew Spent about three chapters in his gospel recording the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But Luke has a way of synthesizing the sermon down to less than one chapter of Scripture space. So this morning, I want us to look at the conclusion of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6, verses 39 to 49. Once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 6, let's begin at verse 39. He also told them this parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed. It's destruction was complete this is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God you may be seated our passage begins with the statement that he being Jesus also told them this parable you and I must first understand the them to which he told this parable The word them must refer to his disciples. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 6 verse 20 that Jesus looked at his disciples and said. So everything that follows verse 20 into our passage, Jesus must be directing it to them and the them must be his disciples. So Jesus told them this parable. I want you to notice that the word parable is singular. Everything I read for you is one parable. Oftentimes we think that a parable is a story that communicates a truth. And oftentimes Jesus employed that definition of a parable. He would tell a story to communicate a truth. But sometimes Jesus would put multiple stories together to communicate, reinforce, reiterate the same truth. This is one of those examples. This isn't the only time that Jesus did this. He will do it in Luke chapter 15 when he probably tells the most popular parable in all of his ministry. It's in Luke 15 that Jesus is communicating the principle of how God deals with lostness. So he shows us three pictures or three stories. All of them, Luke says, consist of one parable. It's the story of the lost sheep. It's the story of the lost coin. It's the story of the lost sons. All of those stories are one parable. It's the parable of how God deals with lostness. In our passage of Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells one parable. It is one truth. The truth is this is what a disciple looks like. Jesus is obsessed with making disciples, so when he comes to the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he says, let me tell you a parable. This parable communicates a portrait of discipleship. The word parable is a compound Greek word, para and bolo. Para means alongside, Ballo means to throw. So Jesus oftentimes would communicate a truth in story form, throw it alongside real life so he would tell a heavenly principle and communicate it with earthly terms he would throw a truth alongside real life communicate a parable and that's exactly what he does in this story let me tell you up front that jesus gives five portraits he gives five stories all these stories all these portrait it communicates a single parable it's a parable about discipleship. You and I could liken it to uh, Jesus stringing together pearls on a string to make a beautiful necklace. You can look at each pearl independent of the others. I think you can gain some benefit from doing that. But if you want to see the splendor of the entire necklace, you've got to see all the pearls in their totality. So that's what Jesus does as he concludes this sermon. He gives us a pearl necklace. He, he gives us five stories. He strings together five principles, five images of what it is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, what does a disciple look like? This is a question I've been asking myself for several months. What does a disciple look like? I've come to this conclusion that identity is revealed by activity. That who we are reveals uh, what we do. That what we do reveals who we are. So our identity reveals and is revealed by activity. This is true in the church. It's true outside the church. If I were to describe for you the activity of certain individuals, you would readily identify them. For example, if I were to begin to describe a person who has given his life to help sick people get well, uh, not long after that description, you would say, you must be talking about a doctor. Exactly right. Or uh, if I began to describe a person who's given her life to the education of the next generation, you would say that person must be a teacher. You're exactly right, because identity is revealed by activity. If I began to describe someone who's made it his profession of lying, you would say, well, easily, you're talking about a politician. You're exactly right, (laughs) because identity is revealed by activity. And so I ask the question, what does a disciple look like? And if we are identified as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be revealed by our activity. And this is why Jesus wraps up the sermon with this singular parable. Five stories, one truth. He begins by giving us the principle that a disciple simply plays Follow the leader with the Lord. Have you ever played that game? Follow the leader? You probably played it as a child. Maybe you played it with your siblings. Maybe you played it on the playground with your friends. But the game is very simple. You really only have one job in follow the leader. Your job is to mirror or mimic the leader. You walk as the leader walks. You go where the leader goes. You move as the leader moves. Jesus says, let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf, that if you are going to be a disciple, you must follow the lead of the Lord. Fundamentally, that's what it means to be a disciple. You are following the lead of the Lord. He asked two questions in this first picture. Two questions. The first question demands a negative response. The second question demands a positive response. The first question comes, uh, can a blind man lead a blind man? The answer is no. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever played follow the leader with a blind kid? No. That's hazardous. It's detrimental to your health. He then asks a second question. Will they both not fall into a pit? The answer, yes. I mean, if you're following the lead of a blind kid, eventually he's going to fall and you're going to fall, right? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you better be careful who you follow. You better be careful who you follow because every person on earth is blinded by sinfulness. All of us are spiritually blind because of our iniquity, All of us are spiritually blind as bats. So Jesus says that fundamentally discipleship is following the lead of the Lord because there's only one escort to eternity. There's only one God into glory. It's the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I are going to be disciples of Jesus, we must follow him. It's not that all roads lead to heaven. It's not that all gods get us into the glory. It is that only one person can pave the way for us to follow We must follow Jesus. As He walks, we walk. Where He goes, we go. What He says, we say. What He tells us to do, we do. We simply are following the leader, Jesus. So Jesus says, Teenager, be careful who you follow. College student, be careful who you follow. Adults, be careful who you follow. You just might be following a blind guide. Unless you're following the lead of the Lord. Because fundamentally, a disciple follows the lead of Jesus. That's the first picture. That's the first pearl that he strings together. And then Jesus uh, comes right on the heels of that. And he says, secondly, the second principle of a disciple is that a, a, a disciple... Is one who is a lifelong believing learner of Christ. No student, Jesus says, is above his teacher. But a student that is thoroughly trained can be like his teacher. Fundamentally, discipleship is following the lead of the Lord. But also discipleship is being a lifelong learner of Christ. We've borrowed that definition from John MacArthur. I think it's a great understanding of what it is to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. When he comes along and he says that, listen, um, just as uh, no student is above his teacher, so you will never be greater than Jesus, but a student who is fully trained can be like his teacher in the days of antiquity education was a little bit different than it is today in the first century there were no big uh, classrooms there weren't a lot of textbooks there weren't study guides in antiquity the the class was the classroom of observation It was a very small class. Sometimes it was a one-on-one with a student-to-teacher ratio. And a parent was always wise when uh, he chose the appropriate teacher to instruct his children. Because after all, oftentimes, the person was learning a trade. And even if that person became a master at the trade, that student never graduated or elevated higher than the teacher. You've heard the statement, uh, like father, like son. When you hear that, you realize that what they're saying is that the child uh, mimics or mirrors the the father in mannerisms, in vocabulary, in gesture. You, You see the son, and it's a spitting image of the father and Jesus uses the same type of imagery when he speaks about a student and a teacher that when you see the student it's a spitting image of the teacher because he picks up by observation what the teacher does he listens to the teacher and follows the example of the teacher and before long he begins to do the same tricks and trade that the master does and Jesus says this is what it means to be a disciple you know we've Ask ourselves the question, the question of what, where, and who. You know, all all throughout this year as we go through the gospel of Luke, we're we're asking ourselves those questions along our journey. What are you learning? Where are you taking the gospel? Who are you trying to reach? The the very first question is is a great gospel question. It's a discipleship question. What are you learning? What is the master teaching you as the student? What are you learning from the Lord? And all of us never graduate. We never get to the point where we learned enough, where we've got it, where where we are no longer in the classroom of observation with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always being taught. Why? Because discipleship is a lifelong believing learner of Christ. So what are you learning? Jesus says the student that is fully trained will look like the teacher. Begin to talk like the teacher, walk like the teacher, act like the teacher. i got to be honest, there are some people that I absolutely love to hear them pray. I love to hear them pray. You know why? Because they pray like Jesus. And when I listen to them pray, I get the hunch they're not talking to a stranger I get the impression that they're talking to somebody that they know personally. And I just love when certain people allow me in to hear them pray. They're not praying as if they're trying to impress me or talk to me because they're not talking to me. They're talking to their friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're talking to the master teacher. And when they get done praying, I mean, they've grabbed onto the heavens and pulled down the very grace of God. And I walk away and I think, wow, that person prays like Jesus. You know there are some people that I love to engage in conversation because when I walk away from that conversation, I think to myself, you know what? I just talked to a Jesus gal. I just talked to a Jesus guy. I just spoke to someone who they speak like Jesus. They they value the things Jesus value. They they talk like Jesus will talk. I I like to be around those kind of individuals because they are being trained. They're a disciple of the Lord. And as they're being trained, they're looking more and more like Jesus. Oh, my friends, I pray that the day comes when people confuse us with Jesus. They see us walking down the street and they go, oh, there goes Jesus. Oh, no, it's not Jesus. It's just the pastor of the church. Oh, there goes Jesus. Oh, that's not Jesus. That's just Sally or Jill. That's just uh, Marvin or Alex. I mean, when people walk down the street, may they confuse us with the very presence of the Lord. After all, that's what the title Christian was given to the first century followers, right? It was a a term actually of derision. It was a term of of putting them down. They're just little Christ walking around. And oh, what a badge of honor. Yes, that's what I desire. I want to be a little Christ. I want to look like Jesus and walk like him and talk like him and act like him. I want to be mistaken for the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And Jesus says that fundamentally, Discipleship is following the lead of the Lord. And also, discipleship is being a lifelong believing learner of Christ. But then Jesus quickly puts together a third pearl, a third story, a third principle. And he says that a disciple is one who undergoes honest self-evaluation. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own. You say to your brother, let me help you get the speck out of your eye when all the while you've got a two-by-four stuck in your eye socket. You understand the discrepancy that he's describing, right? I mean, Jesus is being humorous. I mean, he's actually being quite funny. I mean, can you visualize what he's saying? He's saying that... that, flaws that imperfections in people um, that, that you have the ability to see them and, and some of them can be so minute it's like a it's like a flake it's a it's a speck of sawdust the word speck literally means a flake it, it's very uh, a small piece of particle it, it's it's very minute and he says that, that you have the capacity, you have the ability to uh, see the speck in somebody else's eye, but you cannot even see the plank. The word plank means the beam of a building. You can't see the beam of a building that's hanging out of your eyeball. I mean, visualize this for us, that, that, that you're trying to help somebody else out and all the while you've got this plank that's, that's pro- projecting out of your eye socket. How can you see anything at all? This is exactly the point. And Jesus says, you are a hypocrite. The word hypocrite, it means an actor on the stage. You're masquerading around. You're giving off one image, but it's not reality. You know, we hear this passage and it's easy for us to personalize this story and see ourselves as the victim. You know, the person who has the speck and somebody's coming at us with a plank out of their eye. I remember um, it was early in ministry, I'd probably only been a pastor for a couple of years, and I had a particular deacon that was really just running down my name around anyone he could come into contact with. And I didn't quite understand why. I mean, he was talking about what a pathetic pastor I was and how other pastors were far better than me and. And I've only been in ministry for a couple of years. I was about a, you know, a 27, 28-year-old guy, and I thought to myself, I probably am a pathetic pastor, but why not tell it to me and not just talk about me? And so one day, uh, I made an appointment with him. I went into his office, and I sat down, and I asked, I said, what, what's going on? And after a lengthy conversation, it kind of uh, boiled down to this, that he had a family member that was in the hospital, and that family member's pastor was there, but I wasn't there for him. And so because I wasn't there for him, he was deeply offended. And maybe that was a flaw in my ministry. Maybe I needed to be there for him. But in my mind, I thought to myself, boy, that's a a speck. That's just a little one incident for you to get so uh, bent out of shape about this and then for you just to go around town, and it was a small town, but to go around town and and to talk about how horrible I was. I remember that... um, I even brought in my calendar with me. And I sat down and laid it out and said, listen, listen this is what I've been doing. You know, you're calling into question that uh, I'm a, a lazy, no-good preaching pastor. And, and here, let me just lay out some what's happened over the last several weeks or months. Well, we had a good conversation. We got up, we left. It wasn't a year or two later that it came out that this same guy was embezzling thousands of dollars from the place where he was working. Now, if if it hadn't been for a, a sophisticated plea bargain, this guy would probably still be in jail. And I walked away and I thought to myself, boy, isn't that the whole speck and plank thing personified? I mean, he's showing me that I didn't go to the hospital on a certain day at a certain time, and he's embezzling thousands of dollars from his employer, and he should be in jail right now. And boy, I almost became (laughs) self-righteous. Let me tell you the full story. It was years later, long after I left that place of ministry, that one day I was sitting in my office and my phone rang, and this guy was on the other end. And he said, Pastor, I need for you to forgive me. I, I talked about you. I, I, sp- I spoke lies about you. I did things that weren't good. And I need for you to forgive me. Can I tell you, you could have picked me up off the floor that day. And I told him, I said, you know, this never happens. I mean, the, the story never comes full circle. I mean, this is rarely ever. But thank you for doing it. And yes, I forgive you. And it was a great conclusion of the story. And so when you, when you hear this passage, it's easy for you, it's easy for me to victimize ourselves and see ourselves as people with specks in our eyes and, and plank people are coming at us hard. But I could also tell you other stories where the shoe was on the other foot and I was the bozo. I was the moron that had the plank in my eye going after spec individual that's a very humbling realization sometimes yes you can be the one with a speck, but sometimes you're the one with the plank you know what i've realized in my life uh, by my own personal experience as well as by observation that oftentimes the most critical people are plank people Oftentimes, that when I begin to have a critical demeanor, when I begin to have a critical uh, disposition, when other individuals just have a critical demeanor and disposition, that kind of tips me off. It puts a check in my spirit that, you know what, this is probably a plank period of my life or theirs. Because when we have planks, when we have glaring disobedience in our life, it is so easy to see the flaws and the imperfections in other individuals. When we do that, you know what Jesus calls us? A hypocrite, an actor on a stage, masquerading as if you got it all together, when the reality, you're running around with a two by four, hanging out of your eye socket. Jesus says first, take the plank out of your eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. I love the instructions of Jesus. It's not that he says that you have no business getting into the specks in other people's eyes. Yes, we do have the business of holding each other accountable, of identifying flaws, helping each other on the highway of holiness. Yes, we do have a responsibility, but we've got to do it carefully. We've got to make sure we don't have planks hanging out of our eye socket because we've got to self-examine our lives, remove the planks, so then we can adequately identify the specs. Specs. once again in another church another place there was a sunday school teacher and he would oftentimes tell me we don't judge we don't identify specks in anybody else's life after all i may have a plank hanging out of my eye so we don't just uh we don't judge anyone now i thought to myself that's the kookiest idea i've ever heard why, why would you? Do? That's not what Jesus is telling you. He's not saying, just stick your head in the sand with the plank in your eye and, and just don't say anything about anybody to anything. No, we've got to hold each other accountable. We, we, we've got to help each other along the path, along the journey of discipleship. But Jesus says, just be careful how you do it. Do it with all tenderness. Do it with all compassion. Do it with self-examination. Because when a critical spirit rises up inside of you, it just may reveal a plank period in your life. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to examine yourself. Remove the plank of disobedience, which is so glaring to God. May even be glaring to others. But you can't see it readily at first. You remove that plank and then you're in a position to have clearer vision for you to go and literally help a brother or sister, do some spec surgery. So Jesus says, be careful how you do this, but you must undergo self-examination. I want you to notice that Jesus is not implying spouse evaluation. That's easy to do sometimes, isn't it, brother and sister? Oh, we can readily identify the specs in our spouse, but he doesn't say spouse evaluation. He doesn't even say parental evaluation. It's easy, isn't it, sometimes to identify the imperfections in our parents, whether uh, it was when we were a child or now that we're older, we have aging parents. It's easy to identify those things, but Jesus does not say for us to have parental evaluation. He doesn't even call us to have child evaluation because it is easy, isn't it, parents, sometimes to identify the flaws and the imperfections in our sons and our daughters. No, Jesus says if you're going to be my disciple, there must be self-evaluation. There must be continuous self-examination. And when the Spirit of God reveals a plank in your life, you've got to deal with it by the grace of God and the mercy of God. So then you can accurately go and help somebody else remove the speck out of their eyes. Jesus then strings together a fourth picture. The fourth one is the principle that if you're going to be my disciple, Jesus says, you've got to live inside out. You've got to live inside out. A good tree cannot consistently bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot consistently bear good fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. What Jesus is communicating is that identity is revealed by activity. Um, How you live, what you do, all of that reveals who you are. Because identity is revealed by activity. So Jesus says, uh, you produce what you are. You don't get bananas from a grapevine. You don't get oranges from an apple tree. You produce what you are. So he says that the good man produces good things from the good that's stored up in his heart. And the evil man produces evil things from the evil that's stored up in his heart. Have you ever had moments when you think to yourself, you, you may say something and you think, Where did that come from? You ever do something sometimes and you think to yourself, That's not like me. Where did that come from? Hello, can I be Captain Obvious this morning? I'll tell you exactly where it came from. It came from within you. Because it comes from out of our heart. It's the, it's the writer of Proverbs that connects the, the heart and our mouth, the heart and our actions. They, they are inextricably bound together. Jeremiah says the heart is very deceitful. It's beyond all cure. Who can give any help? The, the heart is a deceitful place. It is, it is totally depraved, totally sinful. And so when you say something that you ought not say or you do something and you think to yourself, that doesn't sound like me. Yes, it does. Because what's on the inside will come out. We will produce what we are. Now that, that's an amen moment and an oh my moment. To realize that we produce what we are. If you stuff your life with greed, you will be greedy. If you stuff your life with material possessions, you will be materialistic. If you stuff your life with lust, you will be lustful. If you stuff your life with yourself, you will be selfish. If you stuff your life with God, you will be godly. Because what's on the inside will come out. We've mentioned before the illustration of Henry Blackaby. He says within all of us is a dogfight. There's a good dog and a bad dog. You know which one wins, whichever one you feed. If you feed that good dog that good dog wins if you feed the bad dog the bad dog wins because jesus understands that our identity is revealed by our activity so when junk comes out it can only mean that you allow junk to go in if you're going to be my disciple jesus says you've got to understand that fundamentally discipleship is following the lead of the lord that discipleship is being a lifelong believing learner of Christ, that discipleship is is undergoing self-evaluation, that discipleship, that if you are going to be a disciple of the Lord, you've got to live from the inside out. But then Jesus strings together the fifth and final pearl. It's the last story. It's it's the last story that reinforces, reiterates the whole portrait of what it is to be a disciple. And, And the fourth Image is this that if you are a disciple of Christ, a disciple puts God's word into practice. So Jesus asked a very pointed question Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Oh, what an indicting question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do not do what I say. What's the implication? If I'm Lord, you will put into practice my word. If I am Lord, you will do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? That double-double. Uh, name was a term of endearment. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you uh, give me a title, but you do not listen to my teaching? Why is it that you give me a position, but you do not give me your passion? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then have a filthy mouth? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then have a filthy life? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then be negligent? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then disobey my word? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and never read my scripture? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and never come to church? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and never share my name? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Oh, my goodness, church, this is indicting. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you are a disciple of Christ, you and I, we must put God's word into practice. We cannot call ourselves a disciple of Christ and never read this book. We cannot call ourselves a disciple of Christ and never share the gospel story. We cannot call ourselves a disciple of Christ and live in selfish ways. We cannot call ourselves a disciple of Christ and continually give forth bad fruit from a bad heart. We cannot. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Jesus says, let me tell you what it is to put God's word into practice. He says, like a man who wants to build a house, he digs deep into the bedrock and he builds the house on a rock. When the storm strikes, that house does not shake. When the floods come, it stands strong. But a person who hears my word and lets it go in one ear and out the other, one who hears my word and does not put it into practice, is like a man who builds a house, but he doesn't dig deep into the bedrock. He doesn't even lay a slab. He just puts it on the ground maybe even on shifting sand. Matthew calls that person a fool. Luke just says it's somebody who hears God's word, lets it go one ear ear and out the other. It could be somebody who comes to church all the time, hears the word of God but never puts it into practice. Jesus says this is a person who is not my disciple. I find it interesting that the same storm strikes both houses and it's only when the storm strikes that the building material or lack thereof is revealed. I remember uh, in the house we used to live in in Pleasant Grove, we had a sunroom, uh, and some sometimes the sunroom roof would leak. And tongue in cheek, I, I told the guy who came to fix it, I said, "Listen, I don't know if I really have a roof problem. It only leaks when it rains. <laughs> when the sun's shining, it doesn't leak. On a beautiful day, it doesn't leak." And only when the storm strikes does the is the building material or lack thereof revealed. In the same way in Jesus' story, the same principle is true. We can say, you know what, when no storm strikes, all of our lives look pretty much the same. But when the storm of adversity, when the storm of brokenness, when the storm of financial woes, when the storm of marital difficulties, when the storm of parental problems, when the storm of relational meltdowns, when the storms of life strike... That's when the building material is revealed. And the Lord says, only the person who puts my word into practice, only the person who builds life upon the rock, only that person, only my disciple will last in this world and for all of eternity. Otherwise, that person, that life will come to a complete catastrophe. Because Jesus says, I'm obsessed with making disciples. I want you to survive not just in this world, Jesus says, but for all of eternity. Jesus is obsessed with manufacturing you into a disciple. That's what he wants more than anything else. He wants you to be a disciple of the Lord. What does that mean? It means you're going to play a game with Jesus called follow the leader. And what you see him do, you're going to do. You follow the lead of the Lord. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you are a lifelong believing learner of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you willingly go under honest self-examination. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means that you are one who lives life from the inside out. And fundamentally, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that you hear God's word and you put it into practice. You know Dietrich Bonhoeffer's exactly right. Christianity without discipleship. It's like Christianity without Christ. And may I add my own two cents that Christless Christianity is nothing more than insanity. Because your identity reveals your activity. What you do reveals who you are. Do you call yourself a disciple of the Lord? It must be evident to all, especially to the Lord Jesus Christ. On this day, has the Spirit revealed something to you that's inconsistent, maybe a flaw in your life? Today, will you come to the tender Messiah? Today, will you come to the Savior and ask for forgiveness? Maybe today, you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, today I want you to know you can meet him face to face. He knows your name. He wants to develop a relationship with you. Maybe on this day you're a follower of the Lord, but you've got a plank hanging out of your eye. I want you to know that this altar is an operating room, and Jesus can come and help you remove the plank so then you can turn around and help your brother and sister along the highway of holiness. Maybe you're here today And you have somebody that you need to ask their forgiveness. Maybe you've said something, maybe you've done something, maybe you've hurt them, maybe they've hurt you, maybe you've nursed a grudge, maybe you've had a critical spirit, maybe that person you call husband or wife, maybe that person you call son or daughter, maybe that person you call Sunday school teacher, maybe that person you just call friend, maybe that person you have not called in years. And on this day, the Lord Jesus I want you to be his disciple. Maybe today you're here and you need to join this church. However the Lord leads you, I want you to respond in obedience, and I want you and me to be disciples of our Lord. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Move in our midst and help us to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.